Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. And that's just another way of saying in the presence of the Lord. But it's there that lives are changed. It's there that hearts are transformed. You remember when Moses was in Egypt and he saw one of the Egyptians mistreating one of his Hebrew brothers. And here's what, here's what Moses thought the solution was. He thought that violence was the solution. Because Moses took the life of that Egyptian that was mistreating his Hebrew brother. And of course, when word got out about what he had done, he had to flee for his life. But it was on holy ground where the Lord transformed him, transformed his heart, and turned him into a leader, leading the right way, leading the correct way, leading God's way, letting God do the work. And I believe that right here in this sanctuary this morning, the Lord can transform any heart that needs to be transformed. He can change any life that needs to be changed because we're on holy ground. We're in the presence of the Lord today. Would you just take a moment to lift your hands and to lift your head toward heaven and say, Lord, change me. If there's anything that is unlike God in your heart, if there's any anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, racism, whatever it may be, if there's anything like that in your heart today, would you say, Lord, in this moment today, transform my heart. Transform my heart. Transform my life, God. Because, Lord, we know that it is in your presence that we are changed. In your presence that we are transformed. In your presence, Lord, that we discover your plan and your purpose. In your presence, Lord, that we are able to submit and we are able to surrender to you and to your will and to your way. And we do that this morning, Lord, in this moment on holy ground. We surrender to you. 
transform us, change us for your glory and for your good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we are standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels. sing it one more time. just one more time. Hallelujah. Come today, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. in this room today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of 1 Peter. Yes, we're still in that book of 1 Peter. And as I said, how relevant this passage is that we're going to look at together today.
Some passages in Scripture are easier to preach and teach than others. And some passages in Scripture are easier to listen to and to receive as others. This is one of those passages that can be a little difficult to preach and teach, and especially one of those passages that can be difficult for us as believers. And let us not forget that that is who Peter is talking to here in the book of 1 Peter. He's writing to believers, not to unbelievers. I think it's important this morning that you and I understand that God wants to use your life and my life as his representative in order that lost people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the lives that we live. So what that means is it's very important how we live our lives because we're being watched. The world is watching us, but also God is watching us. And so in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, Peter talks to us about how to live life, first of all, as strangers. And when he talks about strangers, he's just talking about us who are believers, that this world is not our home, that heaven is our home. We are citizens of heaven, but we are temporary residents here on the earth, and he tells us how we are to live our lives as temporary residents, as strangers in this world. And then he talks to us about how that we are as Christians to live our lives as citizens. And then he finishes this passage talking about how that we as Christians, as we believers, are to live our lives as servants. It's important how we live our lives because the life that we live will either turn people away from God or draw people to God that's why I say all the time be light be light because we don't want our lives as Christians and let's face it the reason a lot of people fail to become Christians is because of Christians we don't want that to happen at Summit and Church of God. We don't want our lives to be a hindrance. We want our lives to be a bridge that helps bring people into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So it's important how we live as strangers. It's important how we live as citizens. And it's important how we live as servants. And that's what Peter's talking about here in this passage of Scripture. Today, I want to talk to you about a beautiful life. And I can almost guarantee you that what we think is a beautiful life is not what God necessarily sees as a beautiful life. And what God sees as a beautiful life is not necessarily an easy thing for us. But what does a beautiful life look like to God? I think Peter gives us this. A beautiful life that will draw people to the Lord. And first of all, he would say to us that a beautiful life is a sanctified life. And I know I've been talking a lot about that word sanctification and holiness because really 
What Peter is trying to teach us to do here in 1 Peter is that he's trying to teach us how to live holy in a hostile world. How to live holy in a pagan society. And, and, and this is a word I heard a lot about sanctification growing up, but you don't hear a whole lot about sanctification anymore. But let me just tell you that it is still a doctrine in the word of God that you get saved that's justification, sanctified, and then one day you're going to be glorified. But right now, while we are here on this earth, we are all in the process of being sanctified, becoming more and more and more like Jesus. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. There's still some growing for all of us to do to be more like Jesus. And Peter says here that a beautiful life is a sanctified life because listen to what he says in verse 11. He said, dear friends, now maybe your Bible says beloved, and aren't you glad and thankful this morning that you are loved by God? Amen. You are loved by God. You are friends. You and I, we are friends of God. So he's writing here to believers and he says, I urge you. In other words, what I'm about to say to you is really important, so really listen to me. Put down whatever you're doing. Put aside whatever's distracting you because what I'm about to say is extremely important, the apostle Peter is saying here. And he said, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now he's going to talk to us about how to live as strangers. And as I've already said, we're not going to talk much about this because we've talked about this almost every week that we are strangers. We are exiles in this world. We are not citizens of this world only. We are citizens of heaven. And that means that we live according to the rules and the laws and the commands of heaven and the rules and laws and commands of God's word. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we rebel against the laws of this land simply because we are citizens of heaven. It's important how we live our lives. And so he said, as a stranger, as a pilgrim just passing through in this temporary world that you presently live in, he said it's important that you abstain from sinful desires. And see, that's totally contrary to the way the world believes. Because the world believes just give in to those desires. You know, that God gave you those desires for a reason. So, so by all means, fulfill all of those desires, whether they be good or whether they be destructive. But he said for us as believers, for us as strangers, that we are to abstain from those sin sinful desires. That we are to hold ourselves back from those sinful desires and thank God we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have the grace of Almighty God to help us in this battle that we're in because notice he said that we are to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotion. Is there anybody here this morning that ever feels like you're just in a constant battle? between your spirit and your flesh and your flesh you know even though you've been saved that unredeemed sinful nature is still there trying to pull you back in like a magnet trying to get you to reattach yourself 
to those sinful desires. But notice, he said that we are to abstain from those things which wage war. It's almost like these fleshly desires have organized themselves as rebels and as terrorists and as guerrillas to come in and to destroy our lives. And it is a battle, listen to me, it's a battle that every one of us in this room are going to fight until Jesus comes. Until we get to heaven. And so he says, abstain from those desires that wage war against your soul. And then he tells us why. He said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see. Everybody say see. You see, it's important what people see in your life. Not just what you say. Not just the words that you speak, not just your talk, but your walk is important. And and, and evidently, Peter was paying really close attention to when Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, let your light shine in such a way that others may see your good works and glorify their Father in heaven. You see, God wants you and I to live lives that represent him well. That when pagans look at our lives, they see good things. They see godly things. And he said, no. Notice that he said, live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong. And, and let me tell you, these believers that, that Peter is speaking to here, they got accused of a lot of crazy things. First of all, they got accused of being cannibals because they would participate in the Lord's Supper and they were talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And so these pagans said, those, those Christians, they're a bunch of cannibals. They, they got accused of immorality because they would celebrate together what was called agape feasts or love feasts. And really it wasn't anything much more than like when, when you and I used to have homecomings, you know, and everybody would prepare a dish and we'd come together and we'd have a meal and we'd have good fellowship together. That's all they were doing. But these pagans said, man, they're having these love feasts. These agape feasts, every kind of sexual sin and immorality that you could imagine, they got accused of participating in. Of course, it wasn't true. They also got accused of, of, of encouraging slaves to rebel against their masters. And, and to a point, maybe they did because when Christianity came on the scene, they came with a message that said all men and women are valuable in the eyes of God. And all men, regardless, and women, regardless of the color of their skin, that they're created by God and they're precious to God. And that when Jesus died, he didn't just die for the white man. He died for the white man and the black man and the yellow and the red. He died for everybody. Amen. And, and, he, and he says, but live such good lives. They, they were being accused of so many things. And so he said, live such good lives that when they accuse you, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I like the way that Plato said it when his reputation was under attack and there was a particular gentleman that was speaking false things about him. He said, well, my only response is I'm going to live in such a way that nobody will believe anything he says. And that's what the Lord wants from you and I. That when we are falsely accused as believers, as Christians, that we live such good lives 
that just like Plato, we live in such a way that nobody will believe anything that they say. And then he says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, do you know what he's talking about there? He's not just talking about that time when Jesus comes back. And at that point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's talking about that day when the Holy Spirit visits that unbeliever and convicts that unbeliever of their sin. And your life did not serve as a hindrance, but your life served as a help to them coming to the Lord Jesus Christ so that God is glorified by the life that you lived that encouraged that sinner to become a saint, that encouraged that unbeliever to become a believer. You see, you're representatives. I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I need to live such sanctified, separated lives. Listen, the unbelievers of this world need to know that we are different from pagans. We are different from unbelievers. That we don't just say we love God and serve God, but our actions and our behavior show Shows that we are actually followers of Jesus Christ. That's what this world needs to see. I said it a couple of weeks ago. There's no place for closet Christians in the kingdom of God. This world needs to see what a true follower of Jesus Christ looks like. Because that's going to help serve in bringing them into a relationship with God the Father. Look at your neighbor and say, your life matters. The way you live your life matters. And so he says that a beautiful life is a sanctified life. But but then he would also say that a beautiful life is a submitted life. I told you it wasn't going to be easy. Because how many of you know that it's not easy to submit? It's not easy to submit to people who love you, who people who care about you, people who have your best interest in mind. It's, it's tough enough to submit to them. But, but listen to what Peter says. He said, submit, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. That would be presidents. That would be governors. That would be mayors. That would be judges. You say, well, what if they're not believers? It doesn't say anything about whether they're believers or not. It talks about the authority that God has allowed them to be placed in. Now, I know in Peter's time that those who ruled were authoritarian. That was the kind of government that the the culture lived in. It was authoritarian. You had a king. You had an emperor. And if the emperor commanded something, you had one choice. You submit. We don't live in an authoritarian society today. That's not our government. Our government is a democratic society and a democratic government. It's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But it still requires that we submit. But more than that, more than just submission, it also requires that we cooperate That we cooperate with our governors, with our presidents, with our mayors, with our judges. That we cooperate with them in establishing justice in our world. And, And so he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. 
whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And then notice what he says, for it is God's will. You want to know what God's will is? God's will is not always easy. But he said it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And I love that word silence there because it's a word that means to put a muzzle on. And it's like these pagans, these unbelievers are barking and yelping like dogs, accusing these people of God of things that they are not guilty of. But he said that if you will live a good life, if you will live a godly life, if you don't give them anything to talk about, you'll be able to silence like putting a muzzle on them. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was with the disciples in a storm and Jesus stood up and told that storm, shut up, be still. He put a muzzle on that storm and listen you and I can put a muzzle on our accusers if we like Plato say I'm going to live in such a way that nobody can believe those things that are being said about me he said it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people and then he says live as free people but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil live as God's slaves because some people think when they become believers And we're going to see here in just a moment where a large segment of society in Rome at this time were servants and slaves. And a lot of times when a servant would become a believer, they would use their freedom against the one that they served. They would use their freedom not as a tool but as a weapon. And he says, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. There's some folks even today that when they become believers and, and, and experience the freedom of Christ and the freedom of salvation, they think they now have the freedom to do whatever they want, to live in any way that they want to live, even participate in sin if they want to participate in sin because they think that grace is a license to sin. But listen to me, if you are still giving in to the desires of your flesh, and and you're using that as a cover-up for freedom. Listen, you're not free. You're still bound. You, you, You are still in bondage to your sinful nature. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to sin. Don't use your freedom to do what you want. You are to use your freedom to do what you ought to do. You don't use your freedom to disobey God. You use your freedom to obey God. That's what that freedom. He said, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And then when you talk about all this freedom, he said, remember this, live as God's slaves. He is your master. And you are his servant. I am his servant. The moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and became a follower of his, he became your master and you became his servant. And it's now not about your selfish desires and what you want. It's all about what does Jesus want as my master. And I'm going to obey and submit to what he wants as my master. That's what freedom is. 
And then, he, and then he goes on and he says this. He said, show proper respect to everyone. Do you know what the literal translation of that is in, in, in the Greek language? Show proper respect to everyone. Show honor to everyone. Listen to me this morning, and I'm not assuming that everybody has an issue with honor and respect, but some do. And listen, we are to honor and respect regardless of skin color. Listen to me this morning. Honor and respect everyone. Notice, he didn't, clar- he didn't, he, he didn't categorize and, 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 and clarify about one particular group. No, he said, you show respect to everyone. It doesn't matter the color of skin. It doesn't matter their socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter what part of town they live in. It doesn't matter how good or they can dress or are or, or not able to dress. It doesn't matter how much money or they have or how little money they have. He said that you are to respect everyone because every one of us have been created in the image of God and we're precious and we're valuable in His sight. And therefore, everyone should be precious and valuable in our sight. I'm going to step out right here on a big limb and say that if you have ever been or if you are a part of an organization that disrespects or dishonors any particular race, one, you need to repent, and two, you need to resign. You need to get out of that organization because God is not pleased with anything that disrespects, dishonors, or mistreats his children. Amen. Come on. Amen. He said, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Now, there's a reason why Peter is talking about this. It's because it's a problem even in the early church. And he says, love the family of believers. Again, the world The unbelieving world is watching us. And as a church, are we doing a better job bringing people to God? Or as a church, are we doing a job of pushing people away from God? Because if people come into the church, unbelievers come into the church and see that we can't even love each other as brothers and sisters... Now, I know this was an early church problem. This is not a problem today. We all love each other. We all get along with each other. You know that's not, that's not necessarily the case. But Peter is saying here, love your brothers. Love your sisters. And then the next thing he says is fear God. Why? Because you will never reverence people until you first reverence God. And if there's a problem in our culture, if there's a problem in our world, if there's a problem in our, nature for the, in our nation, for the most part, it's the fact that people do not fear God people do not reverence God because if you fear God if you reverence God if you love God if you honor God if you respect God then you are going to love honor and respect his people oh somebody say amen this morning fear God 
And then he says, honor the emperor. That would be like us honoring our president. And let me tell you who the emperor was during Peter's day. It was Nero. Nero, who probably persecuted believers more than any other Roman emperor. Who abused and mistreated and even had many of them put to death. And Peter is saying, even if they're as wicked as Nero, they're in a place of authority that God has established. And you are to honor. You say, well, I don't like that person. I don't agree with that person. Well, you honor the position that God has placed this person in. And I don't believe it's just honoring the position. I believe God says you are to honor that person. And you are to try to cooperate to the very best of your ability to help that person maintain order and to govern well as long as he is the president of the United States of America. Now listen to me. Listen to me. That means whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's Barack Obama. Are you listening to me today? They are to be honored and they are to be respected by God. And I think it is a crying shame and a sin the way that our leaders are dishonored and disrespected in our nation. We need to be lifting them up. We need to be encouraging them. We need to be praying for them. We need to be offering our assistance to them in any way that we possibly can so that God's purpose and God's plan can be carried out in this nation. Oh, somebody help me praise the Lord this morning. Fear God and honor the emperor. And then in verse 18, he says, slaves, servants. Now listen, he has referred to these believers as being scattered, as strangers, as suffering. But the term that they could identify with more than any other term is this term right here. Because believers that Peter is writing to in Rome were slaves. They were servants. There were 60 million slaves in Rome during this time. But when Peter writes to them, He's not saying to them, this is how you should respond as slaves. He's not saying to them, this is how you are to respond as servants. And let me just stop right here and say, thank God for the abolition of slavery in this nation. I believe it was the most heinous sin that this nation has ever committed. And I want my black brothers and sisters to know from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry, I repent that you or your forefathers or mothers or grandparents, whatever great grandparents, ever had to go through a season like that in your life. And people that say, well, they just need to get over it, don't understand. I've had a lot of people ask me, Pastor, why have you not gone on Facebook and made some kind of a statement about all this that's going on in the land, in our nation? Well, one reason, I'm not educated enough. I may think I know, but I don't know. I may think I understand, but I don't understand. I want to know, and I want to understand. I truly, truly do. But none of us really 
in this room here today really understand and really know the pain that comes with that and the lingering the lingering impact that that continues to have and I could preach a whole sermon right there but I do want to know I want all of my brothers and sisters I want everyone of color to know this pastor loves you this pastor is for you and this pastor wants to see you succeed and prosper in this great nation that we live in right now and this pastor listen to me this pastor wants you to have the same opportunities that I have I don't think the color of anybody's skin should keep them from any opportunity in life I don't think that should be the reason and folks if that's been a reason in our heart if there's been any racism any anything like that in our heart we truly need to repent and say God I want to know I don't know I want to understand I don't understand we can be taught we can be taught I told the first service this morning this may be my last Sunday at Summerton but it's going to be a good one he said slaves now listen again he's not talking to them about how to respond as a slave he's talking to them about how to respond as a Christian servant that's important because these slaves in, in this particular period of history, just like during the time of slavery in our nation, slaves were not looked at as people. They were looked at as things. They were looked at as tools, just like another piece of machinery to help accomplish a job. And so when you're not looked at as a person, but you're looked at as a thing or a tool, there is no justice for a thing or a tool. There's only justice for people. Now listen, let me tell you how this would apply to us today. Because there is no longer slavery in our nation, thank God. But this could apply to the relationship between the employer and the employee. And and, and keep that in mind as we look at these passages of Scripture. Because he says, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. How many of you have good and considerate bosses? I better not see any of my staff's hand go up in just a minute. How many of you have harsh bosses? I know you're probably not going to raise your hand. Notice. He said, submit in reverent fear, not just to those who are good and considerate. It's easy sometimes to to submit to them. It's when they're harsh. Can you still submit? When they mistreat you unjustly, can you still submit? You see, again, he's not talking about how to respond necessarily just as a servant or as a slave. He's talking about how do we respond as Christians so that the unbelieving world will take notice of our response and not be turned away from the Lord, but drawn to the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, he says that a part of a beautiful life is a sacrificial life because he says, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. He's saying that, that, that when you are suffering unjustly, 
and you choose to endure it with the help of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, when you're being treated harshly by your employer, instead of throwing in the towel, instead of quitting, instead of rebelling, instead of complaining against, he's saying instead it's commendable if you endure under the pain of unjust suffering. No, it is not easy to do. No, we cannot do it in and of ourselves. But this is what the Word of God commands us to do. That even when we're treated unjustly, even when we're treated harshly, when we feel like we've been doing the right thing, he said, it's still your responsibility as a Christian to submit. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't incite a rebellion. But he says, under the pain of just up because they are conscious of God. That word commendable means that when you choose to do that, that you're not doing what's expected. You're doing what's unexpected. That you're not doing what the flesh wants to do, but you're doing what the Spirit of the Lord would have you to do. And then he says that you do it because you're conscious of God. Listen, if you're here this morning and you work for a harsh employee, or if you're here this morning and, 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 and struggling serving someone, and may, maybe feeling like you've been treated unjustly, here, here's how you get through it. You stay conscious of God. You remember, well, God has me in this place where I am for such a time as this. And God God has a purpose and God has a plan and I know that God is able to take all of these things that happen and turn them for my good you see you stay conscious of God you remind yourself that God is still with you that God has not abandoned you that God has a purpose in all of this and that way you're able to endure you're able to stay strong even in a time of suffering unjustly and then, he, and then he goes on and he says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Endure it. I think most anybody understands that, that if you've done wrong, you deserve punishment for that. But he said, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Because this was their gripe. We're not doing anything wrong. We're just trying to live good, godly lives. And we're still being treated with no justice. We're still being treated harshly. And so Peter says to him, to this you were called. See, here's something that we don't tell people when they come to Jesus. We don't tell them that as a follower of Christ, you must be willing to endure suffering. We don't talk enough, we don't teach enough, we don't preach enough about suffering because there's that theology out there today that says that if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you'll never have any more problems. You'll never suffer again. Baloney. Ask Paul about that. Look at all that he suffered as a follower of Christ. Ask Peter about that. But Peter said, I'm going to give you an example that tops them all. He said, because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps and that word example there is a word that talks about when you want to teach your your children the alphabet and you write out the word the, the, the letters of the alphabet and and then you give them a transparent piece of paper that they can put over what you wrote so that they can trace and learn those letters 
That's what he means when he talks about an example. But he said more than letters to trace. He said he set an example that you should follow in his steps. In other words, wherever you see him step, you step. You step. And what that means is simply this, that you're willing to take the same road that Jesus took. And the road of Jesus required that he suffer unjustly because look he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth none of us in this room here today could say that about ourselves none of us could say we're perfect we've never sinned we don't deserve to suffer but Jesus could have said that he never sinned he lived a perfect sinless life and what he is telling us here is this you can live a perfect life you can live a sinless life but you're still going to suffer just because you're a follower of Christ just because you're a son and a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer we're gonna suffer and if you haven't suffered yet just get ready because I believe that our nation is headed to a place to where they're gonna become violent against us as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ they don't like the message that we preach they don't like the lives that we live they don't like the mission that we are on and at some point I believe we're going to be baptized into suffering. But he said he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The Savior of the world without sin. No deceit in his mouth. When he suffered made no threats but what he did is this he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly Pilate handed him over to the people the people then handed him over to be crucified but Jesus handed himself over to the father to take care of what he couldn't take care of to fight what he couldn't fight to fulfill what only he could fulfill. He didn't retaliate. He didn't take vengeance. But he handed himself over to God and said, God, you handle this. And the scripture says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Do you know why Jesus suffered unjustly? And did it with joy because he knew that through his suffering you and I would have the opportunity to die to our sins there was a purpose in his suffering but not just suffering but a purpose in suffering the way that he did that continues to draw people to him today and Peter is saying that he's our example that when we suffer injustice, that the way we handle that suffering could determine whether or not someone comes to the Lord or not. There's a purpose in our suffering. And then he goes on and he says this, for you were like sheep going astray. That describes every single one of us here this morning before we met Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We were all like sheep going our straight. We were all going our own way because there was no one to lead us. There was no one to guide us. 
But I love these two words in Scripture. But now. But now. You have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Do you know what that means? That means that if you are suffering unjustly, that, that means that there is a shepherd keeping watch over you. What would have happened in this culture is they would have been in a little meadow between two mountains and they would have their sheep there to graze, but there was no fence to protect the sheep. The only thing there to protect the sheep was the shepherd. And so he had to constantly be alert, many sleepless nights, watching over as the shepherd, protecting his flock, providing for his flock. And you and I don't ever need to forget that. He is our shepherd. To my black brothers and sisters today, he is your shepherd that will provide for you and protect you. But not only that, he is the overseer of our souls. He oversees the affairs of our lives. But more than that, when it says that he oversees our souls, you remember when Jesus said this, he said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear, fear those who can kill both body and soul in hell. So here's what he's saying to these servants that were, many of them were losing their lives unjustly. But here's what, here's what Peter reminds them of. They may be able to kill your body, but Jesus is preserving your soul. And you'll be with him throughout all of eternity. And that goes for every one of us here this morning. He is the shepherd and he is the overseer of our souls. So I got a feeling everything is going to be all right. Amen. It may never get right in this life, but remember, we're strangers. We're just passing through. This is our temporary home, our temporary residence. And don't ever lose sight of that because if you ever think that this is the end all, if you become too attached and too comfortable in this world, you'll get depressed, you'll get discouraged, you'll be disappointed. But if you just remember, we're just here for a little while. We're headed. We're headed toward home in heaven. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Father, we love your word. Sometimes your word comforts us. Sometimes your word rebukes us, corrects us, but all the time your word convicts us, along with the work of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray today that each and every one of us 
will be the strangers that you've called us to be in this world and that we will abstain from fleshly desires. That our lives will actually be a light. That our lives will be different from the lives of those who don't know you. And Lord, I pray that you will help us as citizens to submit to those in authority over us. Not not submit if they're asking us to disobey your word because we would never do that. Not submit if they're trying to get us to call and confess that someone else is Lord besides you because we'll never do that. Never do that. But as much as we can to the glory of God, we're going to submit to those that you have placed in authority over us. And then, Lord, as your servants, may we be willing to suffer, but to suffer well. So that just as you, Jesus, through your suffering, many came to you, that many will come to you because of how we endured suffering in our own lives. So that on that day of visitation, when you visit those who don't know you with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, may they glorify you by saying, that person's life, that's what I want. That's what I want to be like. That's what I want to look like. I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of love in my heart and in my life. And may we do it all, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. May they see our good works and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, we'll be staying back. We'll pray for you, whatever you need today. If you don't need prayer, you can be dismissed, but let's go into this community. Let's be light. Amen. Let's be light. Let's transform this community for the glory of Almighty God. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.